Uh, we normally, our normal practice is to preach through a book of the Bible, kind of verse by verse. And, um, and so I read through the scripture this week, and as soon as I read it, God gave me this title. Uh, it says, Call It What It Is. And, uh, and if you don't know this story, we're, we're, we're going to read the verses in a minute, but it's a story about uh, Paul and Barnabas as they go on their first missionary journey. They've been called and sent by the church of Antioch. And they go to the island of Cyprus, uh, and there they work their way across the, the island. And uh, they meet a man named Bar-Jesus, uh, which meant son of Jesus. And he was a Jewish sorcerer, and he was an advisor to the governor um, of this island who reported to the Roman Senate. And the, Roman, the, the, the governor there, Paulus, saw this man as an advisor. I'm preaching the whole sermon right here in the introduction. I didn't plan to do this, so you just have to hold on. It might be really short. I might be done in a minute. But I just feel impressed to share why is this the name of it. See, this governor thought Bar-Jesus was helpful, thought he was good in his life, thought he was a trusted advisor, someone he could depend upon. Someone he rested upon. Yet it says that the governor, Paulus, he was an intelligent man. And, and for some reason, uh, God had put a draw in his heart. He wanted to hear what Paul and Barnabas had to say. He probably heard through the grapevine, hey, these two Jews are in town. They're talking about Jesus. And they're sharing the message of Jesus. I want to hear their message. And poor Jesus, like uh, many of us have probably done in our own lives, maybe felt threatened. Uh, but he goes to the governor and he says, hey, you don't want to listen to them. Pay no attention to what they have to say. And he was trying to keep the governor from hearing the gospel and believing the truth about Jesus Christ. And in the scripture, it says that, that Paul is, uh, felt the Holy Spirit within him. And then he looked bar Jesus in the eye and said, you son of the devil. And he called Bar-Jesus what he really was. And when I read that, I thought in my own heart and in my own life, I was like, God, that'll preach. And I thought, this is going to be an easy sermon. It was like Monday. I thought, Sunday, I'll be able to, like, this is, this is good. Because i got things in my life I think are good. That I make every kind of excuse and say, and we, and we paint this pretty picture and we see it one way. And I was like, there's some things I just need to call them what they are. Because there's the, the reality that uh, th this week I was in this small group of other pastors that, that, are, that are part of church plants and planting churches. And there's a guy named Nestor Gomez planting a church in Cardinal Valley District of Lexington. Um, and, uh, and one of the second poorest zip codes in Lexington. And he was talking about how in his life he prayed for clarity over the years. And he started thinking, like, clarity what God wants for him, what he wants to do. And he started thinking, I'm going to go read my Bible and see who else has prayed for clarity. And so he goes and does this research, and guess how many people in the Bible prayed for clarity? Prayed for wisdom. And he said, I realize when we pray for clarity, it's really a very selfish thing. It's us saying, I want to know your plans. I want to. He said, what overwhelmingly people pray for is faith. Faith to pursue and step. And why do we want clarity? Because we're in the middle of chaos around us. We don't know. We don't know what's true. We don't know what's right sometimes. We don't know who we can trust. 
And we don't know what God wants for us or what he doesn't want for us. And there's, there's a reason for that. And we might call it uh, distracted. We might call it chaos. We might be like, my life is just, I feel like I'm all over the place and I can't get sorted. But we need to call that exactly what it is. It's called spiritual warfare. It's called spiritual warfare. This is a, a, a quote. It says, Satan is real, and if we ignore his existence, we are ignoring so much of what happens in our life. You see, behind many things that happen to us in this lifetime, Satan and his army are most likely behind the scenes wreaking havoc in our lives. We often focus on what we can see and become distracted by our circumstances or other people rather than look beyond the circumstance and on the forces at work. We fight our loved ones, ourselves, and even God when we need to be fighting the real culprit, the enemy. We're fighting a war, a spiritual war, a war in the unseen places, a war for our souls. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, Consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are after it. There is a war waging in the spiritual realm every day, every second of this very moment, reading this article. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6.12 that our fight is not against flesh and blood. But man, we make it that way. We make it about family, we make it about a friend, we make it about a neighbor, we make it about a spouse, we make it about a parent, a child, and with all this discord and division, we make it about each other. But it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He then goes on to encourage us to therefore put on the full armor of God so that we can stand firm against the enemy. What happens is we get distracted, right? And that's exactly what's happening here to this governor. He's getting ready to hear something incredible, something true, the most important news he will ever hear, the gospel, which means good news about Jesus Christ. He's getting ready to hear it, and he's got this little nagging thing. Bar Jesus. So you don't want to listen to that. You don't want to hear that. It doesn't matter. Oh, he's crazy. That's crazy. And it's trying to keep him from it, but he pushes through. And he pushes through to the truth. So we're going to look at really just two things in here, and uh, we're going to spend not a lot of time, I promise. Because I don't think it needs a lot of time. I think you all understand what I'm saying already and what this, this, this passage speaks into your own life. There's some things you say, yeah, I probably, there's some things I need to look in the eye in my own life and call it exactly what it is. It's a scheme of the enemy. We're going to talk about a few of those. I thought, man, I'd have this succinct. There's three, there's four, there's seven. I don't know. i got like 12. They don't make sense. I'm just going to share them with you. And, and you, you, you can find your own in your own life. I found my own in my own life. But let's just go through the scripture, all right? We'll go through the words that were here. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Good reminder. Church didn't do it. Elders didn't do it. Holy Spirit, God himself, uh, sent them out. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of, I like to call that Salamis. 
Y'all yeah, heard last week, I like to eat. I just see that my like, salami. That's good. I'm going to go to that place. Salami. They went. Salamis. I don't know. Went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. Uh, John Mark went with them as their assistant. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, which is on the western side of Cyprus. I wanted to see Cyprus. And there's a beautiful thing in today's age called YouTube and drones. And so I want you all to kind of, I got a little video here. I want you to see, well, I mean, it's one thing to read that and say, oh, they went to Cyprus and went across the island. And you're thinking, like, I don't know what you're thinking. It's probably wrong. But I'm going to give you this kind of visual so you can just kind of experience and see what God's church was up against. We think we're up against it. And just, just see kind of what they're up against. And maybe the temptation to just stay on this island, honestly. That's what I thought when I saw it. I was like, I'm just stay there. Saul was named after a king, 
meant great. Paul actually meant little, kind of just a little insight uh, in Paul's life that he died to himself. And Jesus, God, became great in his life, not him. So we get to Paphos. This is where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, I read some commentary on this. It said that Luke couldn't even write the words Bar-Jesus again. Because it meant son of Jesus. He was such, a, such an insult, a pagan to who Christ really was. And Luke was like, I'm just going to call him. He's a sorcerer, magician. Uh, he, he was a false prophet. Um, and so he says he interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he looked the sorcerer in the eye. Man, I love that moment. If you like good battle, you like Rocky, you like the movie, like those types of good and evil and like a battle going forth and somebody standing up. Well, I want to give you the, I hope today you leave with some courage to look something in the eye in your life and make a decision. We see some th two things here in, in Paul's confrontation. One, he was filled with the Spirit, so he had good discernment. He was not filled with himself. He was filled with the Spirit. So when he was around this person, that, that he wasn't taken aback. He wasn't, uh, the, the, the wool wasn't covered over his eyes. He saw him for what he really was. And he had this discernment. So he was filled with the Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. Um, and so we see his discernment, but then we see because of the power of the Holy Spirit, he had the, the strength to make a decision. And that decision was the title of today's sermon, Call It. What it is, then he said, you son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud and enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind, and you will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around and begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. Pretty significant moment right here in what Paul does. And so I want to take just a minute as you think about, and maybe you're just imagining in your own life, uh, some things that you are making excuses for or justifying or explaining away uh, that, that God's just giving you some discernment right now today to say, no, that, that's actually the enemy. That thing in your life is not okay. That person in your life is not okay. The way you're treating these people, that's not okay. You just look for some clarity and a check uh, this morning. I'm going to just share some things that I wrote down and uh, brainstormed, and, um, and then we'll, we'll go on to the governor. So we're going to do Paul's confrontation, and we're going to do the governor's conversion. That's two things we're going to talk about this morning. Um, we, we talked, talked about this a little bit last week, busyness. Right, we, we could say, I would love to have done that. I would love to do this. I'd love to serve. I'd love to help my neighbor. You know, I'd love to invite my neighbors over to dinner. Do you remember when people used to do that? Like way back when? Or actually, they didn't have to invite you. You could just show up. And they always made extra. 
That was the good old days. Well, like you could just show up at somebody's house and they always had extra. I don't know how that happened. We never have extra. Maybe that's my fault. But if we learn anything from Jesus, we learn this, that productivity is not achieved without a constant rhythm of engage and retreat. Like when he would work hard, he always made time to get away, to go into the to wilderness, to go and pray, to go by himself, to spend time alone. Like he managed his, his, his schedule. Um, we, we say we're busy, and what that really means, and I'm talking to me too, is that we just, we're not doing a good job at setting priorities. So we say we're busy. I'm just so busy. I'd love to do that, but I can't. But what we're really saying is I have other things that are more important. And then maybe we can look and see what those things are. Are they really more important? Or maybe it's uh, just frustration in your family, like discord between a spouse. Uh, uh, Chris shared this story with me about Tim and Beck, and they told me I could use it, so I'm going to. Was I allowed to say the name? Yeah, this is Beck. So maybe it's just discord in your family, right? And you just, you've, you, the devil has you convinced that your spouse is the problem. That the reason your marriage is, is not everything you wish it was is all their fault. And got you convinced that. So the story is uh, Jack, their son, is in the house and he says, Mom, you always come through the house and you say, and I'm using this and y'all are going to relate so well because this is everybody's house. It's not calling them out. This is everybody's house. And he says, you're coming through the house saying, why is everybody in such a bad mood? And the little boy Jackson, he says, when really you're the one in the bad mood. <laughs> and then dad comes in and he's always saying, yeah, it's probably my fault. I'm sorry. When he really knows it's your fault and he knows it's not his fault. And he didn't do anything about it. This is out of the mouths of babes, right? That just speak truth and clarity right into your life. And you're like, oh, that hurts. And so what happens is the devil wants to seek and destroy, and he does it by, by distracting us and getting our attention on the wrong things. And we, say, and we say, well, I just can't get along, or they're just not this, or they're just not that, or the, the, it's just not working out. And we say all those things about it. And really, it's spiritual warfare, because if, if the devil can break down a family and a household, it's the foundation of the church. And what happens is little distractions lead to destructive decisions. Because when you get in a state like that, the devil, the devil gets you distracted, and then you start to look at your neighbor's house. You're tempted to look at somebody at work and think about how good their marriage is or, or this or that, or you start to compare yourself to, to other people and in other ways. And the devil will get you so distracted that eventually you'll start to justify and say, well, I'm not happy. And do you know that path is like so full of lies and contrary truth to what the Word of God is? Because what this Bar-Jesus really is is a personification of deceit that the devil uses. 
and he'll use it in your life. He'll use it when you say things like, uh, uh, and this is maybe for the younger group, maybe older too, but it's, it's just a little fun. We're just going to have a little fun one evening. There's no harm in it. Uh, that, we're just going to, you know, what, and that one statement leads to like, it's destroyed a lot of lives. All right. Maybe it's uh, money. Maybe it's the pursuit of money. Like, I really got to have enough to retire. I have this much in savings. And, and you begin to think all about money, and it begins to impact all of these other decisions that you're making. And, like, all of a sudden, the ends, uh, you're saying this statement, the ends justify the means. A lot of our culture. Right? And let's call that what it is. It's deceit, it's lying, it's sin. And, and so, so it makes it really difficult, right? Y'all having fun? Like you're seeing in your own life, like how the devil can pull the wool over your eyes and you can just get so comfortable in the most sinful state. And you're saying, that's all right. Or maybe it's like, maybe it's just the, the things you're watching or reading or, or, or the websites that you're going to. It's just this one time. It's just for a moment. Maybe it's the app. Maybe it's a relationship with just a girlfriend or boyfriend. That you're like, and, and we get this in, in youth group. Or we get this question, how far is too far? That's not the question Jesus would ask, I don't think, Right? Right, we're not, as, as, as Christians, we're not saying, how much can I sin and still get away with it? We're not trying to figure out that boundary. Right? If we're having to ask the question, then probably we should scale back a little bit. Like the real question is, how do I give my heart fully to Christ? And when I'm living like that, I don't have to ask all these questions. It's not a list of rules about making God happy. It's faith and serving him and trusting him. The other thing is that all of these really lead to Oh lucky I lost a page of my notes. All of these lead to this truth. All right. Part of what we're battling against is self. Is yourself is is, is self uh, self-reliance, it is self-righteousness. Uh, uh, the, the other one of these things that could be is religion. Okay, we can feel so cozy and comfortable because we're checking all the boxes, we're dressing right, we're going to church on Sunday, like we're doing the things, we're meeting the expectations, we're part of the club, we're in, and yet there's no deep down root spiritual growth happening in your life because you are worshiping religion. Let's call that what it is. It's an idol. Church can become an idol. Sunday morning can become an idol in your life. It absolutely I want you all to be here. We should always be obedient and be here when we don't feel like it. But just be careful about feeling good just because you were here. And then you can go do whatever the rest of the week. The other thing that we, uh, that, that we see is this reality that um, 
He's had this discernment. He's made this decision to just confront this and call it what it is. And I think about some things. I think about the island here, and we might call it Cyprus, or we might call it the launch pad. You know, we might call this church the sanctuary, or, or like this is headquarters for new beginnings, but what it really is is kind of where we huddle and where God just in, inspires and, and encourages and fills up a body of Christ to go out into the town and change the place, uh, love on the neighbors, be a blessing. Like We can call things what we think they are and what the devil wants to see them as, or we can call them as what they really are. What happens here is because uh, Paul had the courage to confront this, Something amazing happened. Because there's going to be a time you've got to have courage to confront it in your own life. But I can promise you as a dad of a 12-year-old, there will be so many times in your kid's life you have to confront this. They will start to believe all the lies of the culture. I mean, just by listening to the music filled with stuff that's just not true and it doesn't, and it doesn't play out into the truth of how God designed things, and it becomes real in their life, and you'll be like, wait, you're calling it this. Let me tell you what it really is and give them guidance and pointers. So it does this. It says, when the, when the governor saw what had happened because Paul confronts him, he goes blind, and when the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord what this meant and how this spoke into the life of our church and the vision of our church we just passed this vision statement that says we, we want to see this community experience Jesus in real and relevant Ways. And, and what, what happened, happened right here is this governor experienced Jesus in a real and relevant way. He did not just hear the truth. He saw it. He saw the proof of it. And, and I, I've been reading this little book, and I just want to read you a couple paragraphs out of it as we get ready to close. Uh, in, verse, in chapter, uh, in the first, in the foreword, it says, Something wonderful is happening today. After a long slumber, the evangelical church is reawakening to its other side. I call it the proof side of proclaiming the gospel. I first experienced this other side when our church, along with several others, organized to renovate some of the public schools in our area. Teachers and school officials had not asked for our help and were clearly surprised when we offered it. But when thousands of church volunteers descended on their schools, rebuilding playgrounds, landscaping entryways, laying carpet, constructing hundreds of much-needed cabinets and painting hallways and classrooms, something special took place. They believed. Through witnessing these selfless demonstrations of love and helpful acts of service, they believed that the church just might have something worth listening to. I will never forget the comment of one fourth-grade teacher as she stood there amazed at the work being done on her classroom by complete strangers. If this is Christianity, then I'm interested, she said. It was then and there that I realized our world is still open to a gospel it can hear and see. The real gospel is two-sided, it's truth, the good news, and it's proof. The greatest commandment, love our neighbor, and they're intertwined, and they share each other. And so, so we as a church, this is our heart, 
to have, have our community see and experience Jesus in real and relevant ways. I got over to this next page, and this was a line in the introduction. One of the most effective ways to reach people with the message of Jesus Christ today is through real and relevant acts of service. Because I could tell you something. I could tell you, you know, my grandfather, he was a great musician. He played bluegrass music. He was a coal miner. And, uh, and, and he, he just... He, he was uh, just a family guy, uh, but he was an alcoholic. And as he got older in life, someone convinced him to go to church, and he, he went to church, and he, he got saved. And guess what? When he was in, uh, he didn't know how to read. But when he got saved, God put a call in his life, and he started preaching the gospel, and he, he got a Bible, and he started reading and studying it. And actually, my grandmother taught him how to read uh, in the Bible, with that Bible. I could tell you that. You think, that's pretty cool. Right? And this is what the church does. We're really good at, you, know, you grow up here and say, have you, who have you witnessed to today? Who have you told the truth about? Or told the truth to, the gospel, who have you told about it? And so I could tell you that, and then I could say, I could pick this up. I could show you the coal dust. On the corners of the pages, I could show you the notes he scribbled. The verses he highlighted feel a little bit different to see it. The proof of the gospel is in changed lives. We're celebrating that today, two baptisms. Proof of the gospel is also, is, is the church a blessing to the community? Does it, does it, does it benefit? Are we, are we connected in the hopes and dreams of Pikeville? Are we actually just doing what we can to be a help and be good and care about the people that are in this town? Because I had uh, one statement this week, you know, we got the boxing gym, and y'all know Sean. I've shared that story that's living down there. Uh, he's homeless. He's living in one of the apartments underneath our boxing gym over on the bypass. And, you know, he, he's a hard worker. He's hauling junk from everywhere, and he's got stuff stacked around. I go sit down every couple of weeks and spend 30 minutes or an hour with him and talk to him and try to help him, try to get a game plan for him. Um, and, but but it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of a mess, and we're trying to get it cleaned up now and, and, and address that. So we find out from the city, you know, that they got codes and stuff like that, apparently. And we got to get it cleaned up. And, uh, and, and so I was talking to somebody about that. And here's, here's the mindset of the church, okay? And this is why our town is struggling. If you don't think it's struggling, it's struggling. It may be financially okay. We may have facades up and things look okay. But spiritually, our town is struggling. And this was what they said. Well, I tell you what he needs to do is he needs to get through these doors at the church. And I wish I was quicker on my feet because I thought, that don't feel right. Because what we're all about and what's in my heart is like, 
the church needs to get out the doors and go see Sean. You have no idea what his life has been like, what he has been through. But that is the mentality to build a wall around this place and let people in if they want to. And we hope they want to, and they need to want to. If they don't want to, that's their fault. And God has called us to not just tell the truth, but embody and live out the proof. Proof that the gospel's changed our lives, that we love this town, and Jesus loves them too. So with that mindset, I was thinking, uh, I, we're going to two services in April, and I was thinking, God, because Serve Sunday is scheduled for April 24th. I was like, that's going to be kind of weird. Like, we've got two services, two services, and then 17th is Easter, and then we're doing a Serve Sunday. If you've never been part of our Serve Sunday, we break into teams, and we go out into the town and just love on nonprofits and schools and do whatever projects and help they might need. And I was like, maybe we don't do that after we go to service. And I'm reading this, I'm praying about this. I was like, wait, this is who we are. This is who we are. Uh, we are doing this April 24th. I don't care if we have 150 or 200 people. However, however many people show up that morning and sign up, we're going to break up and we're going to go out and, and we're going to show the proof of the gospel. They're going to see something tangible, not just hear it. They're going to see it. They're going to see it as a body. They're going to see it in your life every day, every place you go, everything you do. But to get to that point, we've got the courage to call some things in our lives what they are. And so this morning, I hope God has shown you some things that have you distracted, allowed you to be honest with yourself and Him, and lean more into him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to serve you, to worship you. Thank you that we're getting ready to close right now with this song of worship, and then we're going to celebrate two baptisms. Thankful that, um, that it's your spirit that gives us discernment, that calls us, that convicts us, that shows us those areas in our life that we can change, that we can give to you, that we can trust with you. And God, we just pray that if there's anybody here this morning that's never given their life to you, they've made every excuse. And I don't know the reasons of why they would not have accepted this free gift you've offered them. God, I pray that they would see that this morning as what it is, as just a deceit of the devil, the enemy of holding them back. And that they could step out in faith and courage in you and make a decision that changed their eternity. That could change their family. That could change their family tree. That could change a generation. That could break the strongholds of addiction or frustration or, or, or negativity in their life. Or that, that you can do those things like nobody else can. And we just pray for that strength this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read the lyrics of this song by Unspoken. It's called, Call It Grace. It's the light that pierces through you to the darkest hidden place. It knows your deepest secrets, but it never looks away. It's the gentle hand that pulls you from the judgment of the crowd when you stand before them guilty and you've got no way out. Some may call it foolish and impossible, but for every heart it rescues, it's a miracle. It's nothing less than scandalous, the love that took our place. Just call it what it is, 
call it grace. It's the breath that's breathing new life into what we thought was dead. It's the favor that takes orphans, placing crowns upon their heads. It's the hope for our tomorrows, the rock on which we stand. It's a strong and mighty fortress even hell can't stand against. Some may call it foolish and impossible, but for every heart it rescues. It's a miracle. It's nothing less than scandalous. This love that took our place, just call it what it is. Call it grace. It's the foundation of this story. It's the reason Paul and Barnabas are there. It's the reason that the governor found the truth, that he found Jesus simply by the grace of God. It's the reason you have opportunity this morning to give it all over to him. Is simply by the grace of God.